Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture reading from this morning is from the book of Philemon, verses 1 through 7. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner, for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. I am writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister, Apha, and to our fellow soldier, Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort. My brother, for your kindness, I was often refreshed the hearts of God's people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, as we fill your sanctuary with our voices and our hopes and our dreams, as we look at future leaders in the church, speak to us this day, O Lord. Speak to us this day that our hearts would clearly hear your words, our souls would be filled, and that we would leave this place transformed so that we would no longer just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So for 25 years, they taught Sunday school, kindergarten Sunday school to be exact, together. On top of that, he was the scoutmaster for many years, probably 20 plus alone. And then, if that wasn't enough, they were youth counselors. They volunteered for the youth group for 27 plus years, helping children and youth learn about their faith. All they asked were some simple things in return. When it came to Sunday school, they asked for their summers off so that they could rest and rethink for next year's class. For youth group, they asked if they might could have four or five Sundays off a year for vacation. Who would say no to that, right? But this is what they asked. And one day I asked them, I said, why do you do it? What has possessed you to pour so much of your blood, your sweat, your tears, your time and your energy into the children and youth of this church? Surely it's not your ego. It's definitely not about control. Why do you do it? The response was so beautiful. We feel that it's important to teach children about Jesus and about Jesus' love for them. 
You see, we took seriously our vows of membership. We took seriously about the mission of the church to follow Jesus, to make disciples so that the world might be transformed. And that's how we thought we should live it out. I mean, you think about it, they were really at the front end of disciple making, weren't they? Kindergartners who were just beginning to learn their social skills and to communicate and to learn education, they were teaching them at the very beginning of their school career all about Jesus. And then as those kids aged and went through life, they got them again in middle school and high school where they were beginning to realize that faith was something that you just didn't talk about in terms of Sunday school lessons, but that it permeated all parts of your life. And they began to teach it and how it integrated. How they would take those stories that they had taught about Noah's Ark and Moses in the basket and David and Goliath, the birth of Jesus and the parables that Jesus taught. And how they would take those sweet stories that we all know and remember, but how they would actually apply them in middle school and in high school to deal with issues with friendship, moral dilemmas, service, and faith in action. This couple poured this into, this was their calling and their focus. One child at a time, making disciples. Their purpose, they saw this whole gamut of it, of faith formation from children to youth and then into their adulthood. A lesson that we need to think about in our own lives is how we form our own faith, how we teach faith to the next generation, how we deepen our relationship with God. Today, Paul is writing to Philemon. He's writing from in prison. And the purpose of his letter is to tell Philemon he is sending him Onesimus, a servant, an escaped slave who has converted to the faith and is now being sent back to Philemon's care, sent to him so that he might become a part of the church and might use his gifts and his passion for the Lord to teach the faith. But in the part of the lesson that we heard today, Paul is specifically encouraging Philemon, encouraging him to share his faith, to anchor it in the goodness of God and to teach all that comes with God's goodness, to keep teaching it each and every day to the church and to anyone that would hear it. And that challenge is put forth for you, for me, for our entire congregation to do just the same, for us to learn and to grow deeper in our faith, but to share that faith. Whether we're teaching children or youth or adults, you and I are called to deepen our faith and to deepen it together. We're called to grow in faith by being a part of a community, by welcoming each other and loving each other. And we're called to embark and continue on this faith journey throughout our lives, not to see it as a one-stop milestone that eventually we graduate from, but that's something that we do all of our lives. When I was in my first church, down at Memorial in Thomasville. I was there, I've been there about four or five weeks, still sort of getting my head around this idea of the practice of ministry, not just what the academy taught, but what it really looks like. Because sometimes it doesn't quite look like they tell you it does. I was there and the senior minister walked in and said, so we're working on fall programming. 
I want you to teach a disciple Bible study class this fall. Now, those of you that have taken Disciple, you know that this is 36 weeks in-depth study of the Bible with videos and workbooks and things to do each and every day. And while I, I thought this was a great honor, he was asking me, I had never taken Disciple. And so I said, are you sure? I mean, I haven't taken Disciple. I haven't gone to the training. This was the response I got back. Ah, you've been to seminary. You'll be okay. And I thought to myself, I also took home ec, and you don't want me sewing a prom dress. <laughs> so as I came in and I said, oh, I guess so, okay, I'll be all right. I go to that first class, and I walk in, and so this is the makeup of my class. I've got all my materials. I've done a little bit of uh, prep work, really a lot of it. But I go in there, and I've got, you know, I've got three members of our senior adult program, the village elders, if you will. And you can tell by looking at their Bibles, that they're on their fourth or fifth Bible in life, and they really should be on to their sixth. They've about worn it out. And then I've got sort of the cadre of young women. I've got sort of the one that's been married for a couple of years, but they're not ready to have kids yet. I've got the one that's got one on the way. I've got one that has two in preschool and one that has one in that preschool and elementary school world. And then I have a handful of middle-aged adults in their mid to late 40s. And I'm looking at this class, and I'm thinking to myself, I may have been the only one that's been to seminary, but I'm the youngest one in this class. What can I teach them about faith and life and the Bible? So I did what any good facilitator does. I started off with the icebreaker. So tell me who you are and why you're taking this class. So of course it goes around the room. I learned everyone's names and almost to a T, every one of them, this was their response. Well, you're the minister, you know all the answers we want to hear. If it was only true that the minister fresh out of seminary knew all the answers, we wouldn't be doing this sermon today. If it was only true, but over the next 36 weeks, what we began to learn was that none of us have all the answers and that we all can learn from the scriptures. We can all learn from each other. And so as we poured into the text, our eyes were opened, our hearts were filled. We had great debates and great conversations, usually from different perspectives of where we were in life. But what we also began to realize was how the same text can apply at different stages in our lives, have similar but different meanings. What we learned most was as we shared our experience, shared what we heard in the text, debated what we heard and saw, and shared what we understood about the faith, that for every person in that room, including me, our faith grew deeper. Our faith was enriched. Our lives were enriched. Everything about our understanding of the gospel was only better each time we met. And that got me thinking about today, how many of us walk in here week in and week out and we think we know everything the Bible says to us? How much better would it would be if we would actually start talking to each other and learn from each other from our different perspectives in life, our different ages and stages, the things that we've experienced in the week before? How would that inform our faith and teach each other 
deeper ways of knowing God. That's the first part of faith formation. It's just learning and being together, the desire to grow deeper in our faith. But it's more than just book knowledge, I have to tell you. It's more than just going through the text and figuring out what it says and what the original language was and what the cultures of the day were. It's also about practicing our faith. It's about taking what we learn and what we hear in the classroom, what we learn in our small groups and putting it into play in our lives. It's about showing and sharing God's love. One of the favorite videos that I've seen of late, there's a teacher right outside of her classroom door. And you can tell it's like the first day of school. Maybe it's the 50th day of school, but you can see the joy on her face at what she does. But on the wall, there is a paper cutout of a heart, of a pair of hands, and of a musical note. And so as each student comes up, they line up to come in the classroom. They don't come pouring in. They come in an orderly fashion. They touch whichever symbol speaks to them. And that's how she is going to greet them that day. So the students that touch the heart, they get this great hug from their teacher and their sheer joy on each other's faces. The students that touch the hands, they get the high five and the fist bump. Again, more joy and excitement. They touch a musical note. There's a little shimmy that both of them do together and you can just see the laughter just pour out of them. It's fun to come to school, it seems. It's fun to be together. There's this joy where the teacher is meeting and greeting them on their own terms in their own special way. And she's not looking down the line to see how many more students are coming in. The student right in front of her is the one that matters most at that moment. See, she's building community. She's letting them know that they matter. See, how we welcome and how we build relationships with each other also does the same thing. It builds community. It talks about this idea of who matters. It grows our faith because we were created to grow deeper in our faith, not solitarily, but in community. In community, we bear each other's burdens. We grow together in love we experience the joy of Christ in each other. Now we understand a little bit about community, do we not, if we think about our neighborhoods where we live. You know a lot about your neighbors. You know which ones need to be looked after on a cold, snowy day. Which ones, if you haven't seen them in a while, you just go knock on their door and check and see if they're all right. We know who's got what going on in their lives and everything else. But what if when we came in here, we started to think that same idea of neighborhood, so after 14 months, I've learned that most of you sit in the same spot. Now, you're a little mixed up today because of the Bibles. I recognize that. But you all pretty much sit in the same spot. Now, some of you like to play this game called, let me see if I can move around. You move around enough, I even know who you are. And I know where you sit, which are about the same five spots, just different Sundays. So what if you thought about where you sat as your neighborhood? You got to know who sits in front of you, if you don't, who sits behind you, sits to the right or to the left. You got to know their names and you got to know a little bit about them. And what if you took notice of when they were here and when they weren't? Now this is not keeping role, this is not about shaming anybody, but if you know that the person always sits in front of you is not here two or three weeks in a row, what if you took the responsibility of community and saw them as your neighbor and you call them up and say, hey, 
haven't seen you in church in a couple of weeks. Is everything okay? You might find out that they've just been traveling or they've got a house at the beach or they've gone to go see the grandkids. That might be fine. Or you might find that there is something really going on and at that moment in time, you get to share with them that you care and pass that along to others who care as well. You see, when we begin to do that, when we begin to think about our neighborhood and we build that community and we share what matters to each other, we grow deeper in our faith. We grow deeper in our love of God and we build this idea of faith development happening within our midst, even here in the sanctuary. The other thing about faith development that I love is that it's not a one-time thing. It's not something that we do as children. It's a lifelong exercise. It's a full contact sport. It's something that happens throughout every part of our lives, which is what made that, that first disciple class I taught so wonderful. Here I had three women that I thought had forgotten more about the Bible than I would ever learn, and yet they were still wanting to learn more. They weren't giving up. They weren't saying, I know enough. Instead, they wanted to learn more. What I love about the new part of the year, especially the first of the school year, is I love school supply shopping. That was always the thing that I loved to do. We would get the list from the classes of what the kids needed to go, and then off we would go to buy the supplies. My favorite two things to buy are this, a new box of crayons and a new can of Play-Doh. Now, you know, you open up, now just bear with me on this, well, you open up, it's just wonderful. You open up that new box of crayons. I mean, think about it. The box is shiny. It's nice and all the corners are, are still perfect. Everything is great. You open up the box and the crayons are sharp. The colors are vibrant. The wrapper is still intact. Everything is beautiful about them. And then you open up that jar of Play-Doh and the color is iridescent and it's got that Play-Doh smell. That's the best smell ever, isn't it? And you look at this, and I always look at those two things, and I thought, how much fun this year is going to be for my kids? I mean, the potential of all the fun they were going to have, what kind of, how are they going to use their imagination with the Play-Doh? What were they going to draw with the crayons? What kind of cards were they going to make for Mother's Day or Father's Day or Christmas or whatever? What kind of pictures would they do? How would they share kindness with these small supplies? But fast forward with me. Fast forward nine months later when the school year was over, if the box of crayons still survived and had not been given way to a bag of crayons, that box was worn out, isn't it? The crayons are worn down, they're broken, the wrappers, some of them are gone to the wind. You open up that jar of Play-Doh, it's really dingy, isn't it? And it's got a weird smell that I will not say is Play-Doh-esque at all. It's just got some kind of weird smell to it. But when you look at that, as worn out as they are, you think about all the fun that your kids had with it, the laughter, the joy, the smiles, the satisfaction they had of making something, of doing something creative, of learning with those tools. You see, today we gave our children, we gave them Bibles. They're brand new Bibles, they're, they're stiff, they're clean, they're bright. They've got that new Bible smell to them. But here's the part, it contains the best story ever told. World changing, if you will. 
but it will only do its job. It will only do what it was meant to do if they open it. It is not a holy relic to be put on a shelf and to worship and preserved and it kept nice, neat, and clean. It's to be opened, it's to be highlighted and to be drawn in, to be underlined, to take notes, to read. It is there to be worn out and used up. That's their Bible. But we've got one as well, don't we? What does your Bible look like? Do you take it off the shelf? Do you open it up? Do you wear it out? drawing in and underlining, circling your favorite passages, writing question marks where you're unsure of what the passage means. See, that's what it's there for. It's got this potential to be a roadmap for our lives to inform us and help us through all difficult places that we may find ourselves. But it only works if we read them, if our children read them, if we read them together, if we explore them, if we ask each other questions about what we're reading in the texts. See, it only works if we study it all throughout our life. And if we wear one out, we get a brand new one and start all over again. Because the story doesn't change, but the deepening of our faith does. The more we open it, the more we read her, the more it means to us the more it impacts our lives. Faith formation is, as we know, the primary discipleship-making tool. None of us in this room have all the answers. None of us around the world watching a live stream know everything that God wants for us, but we learn together. We learn together. So Brett and Tammy and Kate, they've got a list of great opportunities to learn. You may even see there in the back of the bulletin, some of them. Brett's got a meeting coming up just about Bible studies alone, but great opportunities for us to dig deep in the scriptures, to develop our faith more so that we know what it is that God wants for us and for the world. So if you are seeking the gift of a lifetime for you or the gift of a lifetime for your children or your grandchildren, then go see Brett and Kate and Tammy or any of the church staff. We would love to point you to a gift that will help you grow in your faith, that will help develop that faith so that we hear what it is that God wants for us as we open our hearts to hear and to learn about God's love for the world. As we grow deeper in our faith, you and I can make a change in the world the same way that couple made a change in the lives of kindergartners and youth for over 20 years. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.